0: Morning. Good to be together. All of us together. Yeah, that's worth celebrating. You can celebrate, yeah. So uh, a bit of what we're going to do this morning is kind of tell some of that story and have some time to celebrate and honor the fact that uh, River's Edge and Soma are becoming one this morning. So... um, Yeah, and we've actually been in this uh, study together in John's gospel, uh, talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, and uh, sort of doing that separately, and then concluding the series this morning together, just feeling that need as we lean into this, and then as we lean into 2024 in general, to do so uh, not in our own strength, not trying to navigate life in our own resources, but learning about all, all that the Spirit is. All that Jesus has promised the Spirit will do for us. So our text has been John 14, 15, 16. Jesus is essentially turning over his ministry to the disciples. Uh, He's giving them instructions regarding their roles and their responsibilities as he goes away, as he turns the mission over to them. And in context, it's actually a, a really compelling picture that Jesus is giving to his disciples. They're to build this movement of disciples all over the world, a community of selfless love. The picture that he gives is foot-washing, foot-washing kind of people that we sacrificially serve and love and welcome one another. A people who are marked by a profound certainty about God's love for us a deep peace that comes with that. Uh, Jesus describes it as a fullness of joy, a joy that is is satisfying, that that wells up within us, even in the midst of trial and difficulty and hardship and uncertainty, and who who then move out into the world in in humility but in in confidence, in, in certainty, to speak of Jesus and to do good work in his name. It's a beautiful and compelling vision, and the disciples are utterly overwhelmed by it, like totally out of their depths. They're confused. They're disheartened. They're afraid. They're filled with anxiety. They have sorrow in their hearts, Jesus says. They know what they're supposed to do. The instructions are really clear. They have a, a vision of what it should look like, not just from what Jesus has told them, but what they have lived together. But the one who's made it all possible is leaving them. The one who's like pulled them together The one who's allowed them to be in relationship with one another, the one who's made clear what they're to do, who's built and equipped them and guided them, is saying, I'm leaving. So they know what they're supposed to do, but they also are certain that without Jesus, they cannot do it. I've said this every week, but it's good to remember at this point that the disciples, it's probably the 12 and then a bunch of other people around who are listening to Jesus talk, they're really regular folks. They're not saints. They're not super spiritual. If you read through the gospel stories, not any one of them comes out looking really good. They look a lot like you, actually, if I'm honest. Right? Some of them are single. Some of them are engaged. Some of them are married. They've got kids. They're dads and moms. They're navigating all the stuff that you're navigating with kids and, and jobs and extended family, relatives, in-laws, taxes, politics. Like They've got all the stuff of normal life, illnesses and vulnerabilities. Money is tight probably for a lot of them. Relationships are strained. And then on top of that, Jesus is looking at them and saying, hey, you're in charge of taking the good news to the ends of the world. Like, I want you guys to be in charge of the disciple-making, church-planting mission that I've started, and I need you to take it to the ends of the world. Ready? So there's reason, <laughs> right? We feel that with them. Like, are you serious? You've got to have a better plan than us. He does. <laughs> he has a much better plan. In fact, his answer is this. I am not going to leave you alone. I'm, I'm sending you help, not just giving you instructions on what you should do. I'm sending you power. In fact, we saw this last week in chapter 16, verse 7. He says, it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go, then the help will come. He says, what I'm offering you in the gift of the Holy Spirit as I go away is actually better for you. It is to your advantage. It's better for you than if I were to stay with you. I think that's one of the wildest New Testament claims. Do you believe that this morning? That we are better off 2,000 years later with the Spirit than we would be 2,000 years earlier with Jesus. It's a spiritual upgrade. Matt and I were talking about it this week. Like, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of old, but um, when I was in high school, not as old as you, Doug, but when I was in high school, <laughs> um, we had these things called payphones. So if if you were like, you were at school, or you were at the bowling alley, or the mall, remember when people used to go to the mall, and you were, you were ready for your parents to pick you up, what you would do is find a payphone, and you would call them and, and collect, and in the little part where it says, say your name, you'd say, I'm at the mall, I'm ready, and then it, your parents would pick it up and hear it, and it would say, collect call from, I'm at the mall, I'm ready, and then they would know to come get you and not answer the collect call, so... <laughs> Come on. Some of you remember doing that, right? <clears throat> Thank you. Um, so that's like, that, that's like like Jesus, right? Like he's, he's one person in one place where like, I mean, imagine a town that has one payphone. You, everybody has to go there. Everybody has to like wait in line to use it. Like it's like single place. And, and now we like, we just carry these things in our pocket. We have direct access to whoever we want, whenever we want it. That, that like... That's the kind of like spiritual leap forward that we're talking about in the Holy Spirit. Now you have direct access to God. Wherever you are. Like literally across the globe, every disciple of Jesus can have the same access to God as if having Jesus in your very midst. So here's what I'm saying, there is more available to us right now in the Holy Spirit than the disciples had when they were physically with Jesus. And so in this series, what we've been saying is, if that's true, then what in the world are we doing? Why do our lives look like they look? Why are we so content to live at the level that we're content to live at? Surely we must just be barely scratching the surface of what God has for us we've got no excuse for the consistent low level at which we live there is more joy there is more peace there's more certainty available to you today there's there's more boldness there's more of a deep sense of God's love for you there's more guidance and direction there's more clarity there's more conviction there's more assurance and more presence and more power there's more available to us right now than we are living in amen and so our responsibility our role is to Know what we have in the Spirit, and then learn to walk in the Spirit, to entrust ourselves to Him, to go on, as Paul says, keep on being filled by the Spirit, to let our minds and our hearts and our lives be saturated with Him, giving Him our attention, giving Him our focus, giving Him our appreciation, understanding what is ours in the promised Holy Spirit, and then learning in the reality of everyday life to rely on Him accessing all that is ours. And so we want to start 2024 by pressing into that, yes? Because I don't know about you, but I got some stuff that I'm navigating. I got some things, some places where I'm out of my depth. And the things where I think I'm not out of my depth might be the bigger problem. Oh, I got this. So here we are, fill us, Holy Spirit, lead us, Holy Spirit, guide us, Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves to you. So our final text, Matt and I are going to tag team this, this is why he's sitting awkwardly on the stage next to me. Um, If you haven't met Abby, so he and Abby, or Matt and Abby, they planted uh, Rivers Edge Church eight years ago, Uh, and this has been a culmination of, well, I'll let you tell some of that story. He's on route to the Philippines and so our, our hope this morning was just to kind of tag-team this and uh, dig into this final text, but then also tell some of the story and how we got to this moment. So Matt, I don't know, is it take it away.
1: Something like that. Wonderful. Thanks, Steve. Uh, and I love what Steve said there. Did you lean back? Is that what you did? Forward? Um, No, I love what Steve said there about this uh, provocative thing that Jesus says. No, it's actually better that I go away and that I send the Spirit. And of course, they hadn't received the Spirit yet, so they like flatly disbelieve that. Like, no way, there's not a chance. Uh, But I think we struggle with that too. Is that true? And maybe there's days where we feel that and days where we don't feel that. feel like, oh man, if I could choose today, I would definitely go the other way. But there's uh, of of the many things that Jesus says about the Spirit and the things that the Spirit will do with us and for us and in us, one of them uh, is what Laurel read this morning. These words from Jesus to his disciples where he's explaining he's going to speak to us and guide us in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. He says, I still have many things to say to you. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, what Jesus is doing is He's uh, setting up the disciples to receive this new reality. See, there's there's a new reality that's available to you in and through the Holy Spirit. And I'm a visual person, so um, I'm actually going to call Matthew up and he's going to serve uh, as an example. But uh, he, this is going to be an image of the one of the ways that I picture our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is Matthew, uh, who was playing bass this morning. We can give it up for him. That's fine. That'll work. Yeah. Um, and here, why don't you go ahead and just bury yourself in there. Uh, should always be... Uh, be aware if I approach you before the gathering and say, could you volunteer for something? I need your help. All right. This is Matthew. Um, and these are noise-canceling headphones, which I'm going to place upon his ears. Uh, and if I can find his ears. Uh, and this is an image for me of spiritual death. Matthew is spiritually dead right now. He has eyes, but cannot see. He has ears, but cannot hear. He cannot perceive God. He doesn't know God. He doesn't believe in God. He he has blood in his veins. He has physical life. He has blood in his veins. He has thoughts in his head. But spiritually speaking, he's dead. He cannot see or sense God anywhere in the world around him. He's just living out his secular life. But at some point, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to stir in his heart, even in his spiritual deadness. He begins stirring something, he begins awakening something there. Something starts happening that wasn't happening before. Maybe he starts getting curious and drawing closer to God and asking uh, some difficult questions about life and faith and those sorts of things. And it culminates in this moment in which he realizes, I have a choice to make. And let's just say, for the sake of argument, that when Matthew gets to that moment, he says yes to Jesus. He says, yes, I'm going to to place my faith in Jesus, in his atoning death on the cross, in his resurrection. I believe he's Lord. I believe that the tomb is empty. Well, when he does that, when he says yes, there's a transformation that takes place in Matthew's heart. He moves from death to life. Scriptures say that uh, when we were dead uh, in our sins and transgressions, covered in darkness, uh, God actually came and made us alive with Christ. So that's what's happened in Matthew in the moment he said that. This, that veil of darkness and sin and death is pulled off. He, he's washed whiter than snow. Uh, set free, forgiven of all of his sin. In fact, Scripture says he's a new creation. In that moment, we use the language of rebirth. He's reborn as a new creation. Scripture say the old is gone; it's behind him. The new has come. Praise the Lord. So, so now he is spiritually alive. Uh, he has ears that can hear. He has eyes that can see. He has a fresh sensitivity to God. So if I'm the Holy Spirit, I've, I've done this work of touching his heart, of awakening him, of pulling off and putting to death the old, making him a new creation in the power of the Spirit. And uh, now he can hear me partially and, and he can see me Partially. So now that Matthew's a new creation, can he physically see Jesus? No. Scriptures say, though you don't see him, you love him. So so he can't physically see me, but he can sense me. And and he can even uh, learn what it feels like when I draw near to him. And he can learn to discern my voice among all the other voices in his life. He can't see me. But still, he can learn to recognize my voice. So as he goes about his life as a new creation with a fresh sensitivity toward God, though he cannot physically see me, he can sense me. He can, he can hear my voice. And he can begin to discern, oh, no, 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 that voice over there, that's someone else's voice. That's the voice of the enemy. I'm not going to follow that voice. Oh, that voice over there, oh, that, that's just my own selfish thinking. I, I don't want to follow that voice. Oh, that's just the voice of my dad, Lingering in the back of my head. I'm not going to follow that. But that voice, I, I, that, that's the voice I want to key into. That's the voice of the Spirit. That's the voice of love that he can hear even though he, he can't really see. Uh, Jesus says, my sheep will what? Recognize my voice. My sheep will hear My voice, they'll recognize my voice. They'll be able to know me and discern my voice from among the other voices. Not the super spiritual sheep. Not the super mature sheep. Not the ones who have worked really hard and somehow graduated to some second tier of Christianity as if that were a thing. No, my sheep. The qualification for hearing God's voice and discerning God's voice and being led by the Spirit, the only qualification you need is that you're a sheep. You belong to Him. If you say, I belong to Jesus, that's it. That's all you need. That's all the qualification you need to be able to hear the Spirit and be guided by the Spirit. And so over time, as, we, as He grows in familiarity with me, as He learns what it feels like to have my presence near Him, as He grows in hearing my voice, there's going to be times when Matthew says, oh man, I really sense the Lord stirring my heart toward such and such a thing. I really sense the Lord in this path of the two paths lie before me. I really sense that the Lord is, is speaking this to me. But I, now I need to weigh that and try to discern it. I think this is the reality that Jesus is speaking to in the verses we read this morning. He said, God wants to guide us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to lead you into the truth and even whisper to you about what lies ahead. Hey, here's what's coming. Here's what I'm guiding you into. Here's what I want you to do next. In John 15, verse 15, which is, might be open in some of your laps right now, Jesus says this. I love this line. He says, "I No, long, no longer do I call you servants, For the servant does not know what his master is doing. He's left in the dark. But I have called you what? Friends. Don't you love that? Through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we're actually welcomed into a new reality in which Jesus calls you friend. The servant's left in the dark. A friend is brought into the inner circle. A friend actually gets insider information. Oh, man, I want to share these things with you. I want you to know me. I want you to know what I'm up to. I want you to know where I'm guiding you. I want you to hear the truth spoken over your life. The things that Jesus wants to say to you. And so we can learn over time, as Matthew would learn in this scenario, he can grow over time in discerning my voice. But, Scripture says, it's not perfect. So what's better, having Jesus physically in the room with us or having the Holy Spirit working in billions of hearts all over the world? Well, Jesus says, the Spirit is better. The difference is that if Jesus were up here instead of me, you could discern his voice perfectly. You might not understand what he's talking about. A lot of the times it was like, I don't know what that meant. But you would know the words he was saying. And, and Scripture says it's actually different with the Spirit. So the Spirit is with you and speaking to you. You can hear Him and sense Him and, and, and follow His guidance, but imperfectly. I would actually paraphrase. This is my paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 13. I would say it this way. These are Paul's words to the church. He says, For now we know in part and we hear in part, but when fullness comes, we'll know fully And hear perfectly. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but in the age to come, face to face. For now, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And I think this is what he's talking about. Uh, In the age to come, there will be this moment where Matthew uh, is awakened in resurrection and the veil is pulled back. And he, he probably won't be this sweaty when he wakes up in resurrection. <laughs> but, but he'll be able to see face to face. Can you imagine that moment? Just Jesus is right there in front of him. Nothing's interrupting that now. Now he sees him and knows him and loves him and gets to know Jesus the way he was already. Fu- I, I fully knew him already, but now he gets to fully know me in a new way, in, in a new depth. That's what's coming for us on the other side of resurrection. but. We're not there yet. So back under the sheet, you go. For now, we don't see him. We love him. We hear, but imperfectly. We see, but imperfectly. So, so it might be, it's a little foggy. It's a little muffled. He can hear my voice, but not perfectly. And if I were to stand in front of him and say like, Matthew, how many fingers am I holding up? He, he, might, he might be able to say like, Oh, I, that looks like three fingers. But he, but he can't see everything. He can just see a little bit, dimly, uh, through that veil. And, and so that's our job as, as followers of Jesus, is to tune into that voice and learn to weigh that voice and discern that voice and say, I hear, but it's imperfect. I see, but it's imperfect. The good news is that Matthew is not alone in what he's attempting to do right now. He's not alone. He's got the word of God as his map and as his compass. He's got biblical community around him who can weigh things with him and help discern where the Lord is speaking and guiding. So he can bring that to his missional community or to trusted friends who are followers of Jesus and say, guys, this is what I'm sensing. This is, this is what I'm thinking. I think the Lord's leading this way. I think the Lord is stirring me in this way. I, I think he's holding three fingers up. But I I can't quite tell. Would you weigh this with me? That's part of the journey of discipleship. But it's all done under this reality that Jesus is talking about, where uh, the Spirit of truth is speaking truth over his life and even speaking to him about things that are yet to come. Uh, This is one of the unique and beautiful things that Jesus died for to open up that door, to usher us into this place where this can be reality for us. We can be spirit-led people discerning what the Lord is doing, listening to his voice, being guided by the Spirit into the future. Okay, let's give it up for Matthew. You're done. In a moment, I'm going to hand it back to Steve. But before I do, I want to give you one example or one story of what this can look like in real time. Uh, Doing that thing that Matthew was trying to do underneath the sheet, discerning the Spirit's voice. And I think this is what God's saying and where he's leading. So this is what it's looked like in my life over the course of the last year. Uh, A year ago, in February, I went on my first trip to Mexico uh, to serve some churches that are there and in Guadalajara, and uh, it was an amazing trip, and through that trip, the Lord really started stirring my heart toward uh, international or overseas ministry. I just came out of that trip with, I've always kind of had a heart for the nations, but something was just lit in that moment on that trip, and I just felt like, oh man, I have this sense that our family is supposed to be more involved overseas or internationally in cross-cultural ministry, Uh, and and I'm, I'm not really sure what to do with that. I'm not really sure what it would look like. Maybe we could go a few times a year and visit some other places as a family and just serve for a week or two here and a week or two there. But what I did with that, I sensed the Lord speaking that and stirring that. Uh, and then I brought that to my wife to weigh that. Okay, now we're going to weigh that together. Honey, here's what I'm uh, seeing, sensing, feeling. I feel like the Lord's holding three fingers up. Can you weigh this with me? Right? And she said, oh, it's really funny. You should mention that. Because I am following two different homeschool podcasts, and in both of them, independent of one another, they both happen to be interviewing missionaries uh, who served overseas in different contexts, who brought their kids with them, who did homeschool while serving in a cross-cultural ministry context. And I was just thinking uh, how good it would be for our boys to have cross-cultural experience to get out and see other countries and other cultures and how other people live. And and so in that moment, all of a sudden, we're like, huh, maybe the Lord really is stirring us toward this. Maybe this is something we're called to do as a family. And, And something was born that we're then weighing together and bringing before the Lord. Lord, what do you want us to do? Where would you want us to go? And for how long and a week or two here? What are you thinking? And we're just carrying that. Then... Uh, The following month, in March of last year, I went to an international conference in South Africa, uh, where the Lord spoke all sorts of things to me about our family serving overseas, uh, but they kept sort of building and building, and it all sort of built up and culminated in one single moment of prayer, where uh, I wasn't the only one, but a handful of us came to the front. People were gathering around us, laying hands on us, praying for us, uh, and what the Lord had for us. And it was one of those rare moments uh, in life with Jesus where it was almost like the heavens were opened, sort of a thing, or, or the veil was thin. If you picture that sheet that was just like, oh, all of a sudden, the Lord is just right there and so real and so accessible. And He showed. I'm a very visual person. Um, it, which is why I'm always doing stuff on stage because I have to see it. Um, but I, he showed me three different pictures or visions that all had to do with our family moving to the Philippines to raise up young leaders and plant churches across the Philippine islands and bring healing to people who need healing. In that context, uh, and it just dropped in my heart in that moment. Oh my gosh! In the presence of the Lord, like this is it. You're not calling us to visit this country or that country. You're calling our family to move to the Philippines and and be there uh, for years to, to invest in this work, to do this thing. And so I walked away from that moment of prayer sort of in stunned silence. My head was spinning a bit, and I was trying to wrap my mind around what I feel like I had just received And I knew it was the Lord and I felt, oh man, I feel like he's really spoken something that's real and that's in line with my heart and it's in line with scripture. And it just makes sense with the global mission of God in the world. I believe in that moment that the spirit of truth was speaking something true over our lives and speaking to us about what was yet to come. Exactly what we're reading about in these verses this morning. And so I walked away thinking, I think, I think that's what's happened. And I'm going to receive that. But that's not the end of the story. There's more to it than that. Uh, I, I, I felt like the heavens had parted. But I also hear imperfectly. And I see imperfectly. Which is why we have scripture and biblical community and all these other things. And so uh, about a week later, I was back here in Spokane. And I shared all of that with my wife, and um, the Lord really spoke to her about it and brought a sense of peace to her heart. Okay, yes, I think this is what we're supposed to do. And then I brought it to our elder team, and I shared it with them, and it was sort of, you can imagine, sort of this like bombshell that I'm dropping on them. Uh, as they feel weight and responsibility for uh, the church and, and leading the church. So I was kind of nervous. I shared all that and then just sort of like, held my breath, and I'm waiting. And how are they going to respond? And the first elder to respond was Evan Pardon, uh, And he had a huge smile on his face, and he said, Oh, I'm not surprised. Uh, he said, My wife Leah and I, we were chatting about it, and we predicted uh, that there's a 75% likelihood that coming out of sabbatical, you would feel called overseas. Uh, which I would have put it at like a 2% likelihood uh, of that happening. But it was very confirming to feel like, oh, well, this isn't just like me alone, just like dreaming this stuff up. I, I think there's others. And we be- began to share with uh, a few select others as well. And we kept hearing the same thing. Oh, we see this in you. Oh, we saw this coming. Oh, I, I thought this was going to happen at some point. So it resonated with my heart. I really felt, oh, this is of the Lord. Uh, It it resonated with my wife and with the elders and with others. As Paul says in the book of Acts, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. Just like, oh, I, I think this is it. I think this feels right. It lines up with Scripture and the types of things that God has been doing, from Abraham all the way through to the disciples, all the way through to us mobilizing people to take the gospel into new places, to go to new lands. But that still wasn't the end of the story. Even in light of all of those other things, we still said, hey, uh, we're about to start a four-month sabbatical, so why don't we put this on the back burner and just digest it for a while and process it a little bit and sort of let it marinate and continue to bring it before the Lord and and just sort of weigh it and test it. Lord, this is a big deal. We want to keep bringing this before you. Is this what you're calling us to do? So uh, the elders and and wives, we all kind of agreed, hey, we're just going to walk with this for a little while over these four months. After that four-month sabbatical, we're going to circle back sit down with each other and just see where we're at and how how everyone's feeling. But assuming that this is from the Lord and assuming that this is going to happen, we need to start praying as well about the future of the church. Lord, you were really clear in speaking to me about our family moving to the Philippines. We trust that you're going to be equally clear in in the future of the church and what that's going to look like as we move forward together. Uh, And that's where Steve comes in. Steve?
0: I got to up my prop game. (laughs) Look back at the text with me. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus sees the anxiety and the weight uh, He understands what they're experiencing. He knows that there's a lot ahead of them. Um, There's a lot they're going to need to navigate. They need a guide. So he's, once again, reassuring them, I'm I'm not leaving you alone in this. I will reveal what you need as you need it. I'm going to send the helper. So it seems like in the text that help goes in two directions. On the one hand, the Spirit guides us sort of deeper in, take us deeper into the truth of all that Jesus is and all that he's accomplished, who we are in him. It says that Jesus says, the Spirit will glorify me. In other words, the Spirit will make Jesus loom large in our lives. Like We'll see him more clearly. We'll understand who he is. He, Jesus says the Spirit will declare what is mine. He'll, he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All that, all that the Father has belongs to Jesus, and the Spirit's job is to take that and just drive it deep into your mind and heart. So he's always sort of speaking to us about all that we have in Christ. And at the same time... He, he says that the spirit's going to guide us further out. So so deeper in but also further out. I'm going to declare what is the spirit will declare what is to come. He will guide us into the future. Just as Jesus when he was with his disciples could give them specific directions about what they're supposed to be doing and where they're to go and how they're to do it, the spirit is going to continue that same thing. It's like a it's a handoff of one guide to the next. Only this guide now is coming inside and going with them wherever They go So practically, what does that look like? On our end, in terms of the discernment process of merging churches together, how did the Spirit guide us? Well, Matt and I have known each other for some time. We're part of this Pacific Northwest church planting movement. We've shared lunch together uh, every month for a number of years, actually. Um, And just over that time, I've felt some kinship, similar DNA. I hear him talk about what God's doing at River's Edge. I hear what they're struggling with, what they're celebrating, and it just feels very similar, what they're aiming at, how they're trying to make disciples and live on mission in community. It's just been some kinship. And I think I've kind of asked the question of like, could we do more together? I knew he was on sabbatical. I didn't know any of that story that he just shared, but I knew he was on sabbatical. And so I was literally mowing the lawn uh, one, one day, just, you know, no glory moment, no prayer, no worship, no, like just literally just mowing the lawn like people do. And I just thought, I thought Matt came to mind and I, like the phrase that I thought of was like better together, like maybe, maybe we should pursue this. So I didn't feel like a great Holy Spirit glory moment. It just felt like a good idea that I thought of. <laughs> so I texted him. I said, hey, when you're done with sabbatical, let's chat. Like, I don't know, maybe there's some ways for us to partner. And I don't even know what I was thinking that that meant at that time. I did know that we've, as a church, like, God's been incredibly kind to us, 20 20 years this fall. By God's grace, it's been fruitful. We we have some amazing people and some good resources. River's Edge also has amazing people and good resources. I I didn't know what the future was, but I did have a sense of what our story was, and I had heard a bit of what Matt's story was with River's Edge, and I just wondered, like, could there be something here? And then when Matt got back from sabbatical, we met up, and I heard that story, and then I... Well, maybe maybe there's more here than I thought. Maybe it wasn't just Steve had a good idea while mowing the lawn. Now, biblically, there's no better together verse. You're not going to find that anywhere to like confirm it against Scripture. But there's a lot in Scripture about the unity of the church and what happens when the church works well together and the way that puts on display the good news of the gospel. There's certainly nothing in the Scripture that say churches shouldn't work together. We both took those ideas to our elder teams, to a community that we trusted to discuss and to pray and to wrestle through the options. Our elder team, we asked a lot of hard questions. Uh, Logistically was one of them. Like, can we do this? Like, they have a lot of children. (laughs) We have a lot of children. (laughs) We asked missional questions. Will this actually help us make disciples together? Will we be able to plant more churches we asked pastoral questions. How will we shepherd the hearts of people through a process like this? We asked our staff. Who we're going to have to do a lot of work, which, by the way, Shaunis, Joel, where are you guys? Joel's probably out there somewhere. Shaunis, Gabe, obviously, but, I mean, like a lot of hours talked to our leaders, we prayed, we dialogued, we, we checked our own motives. We said, Lord, we, we don't want to do this if it's just our idea. Like if Steve just has a good idea while he's mowing, like we want to do this if you're in it, we'll keep moving forward. And so I love what your reference to Acts, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you read that in Acts chapter 15, they're like making major decisions about the future of Christian theology and mission and how it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And they're like, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. And so we just started to take steps forward and watched for God to kind of confirm and to lead and trusted Him to do the work. And so here we are. (laughs) Seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit. So as we end, let me just try to like summarize. and, And I don't want to put them in steps, but I think like five elements around like, how do we discern the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives as individuals, As communities, as churches together. You heard these themes in what Matt shared, you heard them in what I shared. Here's the first one How do we we discern the Spirit's guidance? Here's the first thing we have to actually be a people that believe that the Spirit is speaking. Like it really does start with this conviction that the Spirit is always declaring to us, He's, He's speaking to us all the time. Our job, again, is to know and to trust and to yield to His guidance. I'm pretty convinced the Spirit is speaking more often than we're listening. And like the better together phrase happening while I'm mowing the lawn, I think there's times where the Spirit is speaking and we're hearing Him when we just aren't recognizing that it's actually His voice. So I think step number one is just an encouragement to like, hey, let's trust and believe that the Spirit of God still wants to speak to His people. Now, I also know that the world and the flesh and the devil are speaking as well, right? You're either listening to the Spirit or you're listening to the world, the, the culture at, at large, or to your own flesh, your own selfish desires, or you're listening to the lies of the enemy, right? There's a lot of voices, or your, your dad, I love that. <laughs> like something that got lodged in there has probably been used by the enemy, right? So our job is to learn to pay attention to the speaking of the Spirit, which just sounds like this, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me? Give me ears to hear. Give me a heart to yield. So I think that's, that's number one. Number two, and, and Matt said this, and, and we did this as well, but the, you got to test it against the scriptures. I mean, that's kind of obvious, but God is spoken authoritatively in his word. Like, we hear from God every time we open this. We had this conversation around the table uh, with, with our kids. Jamie asked the question, where did you see Jesus today? you know, just trying to get our kids to pay attention to how the Lord might be at work in the world. And I was like, I saw him this morning when I opened my Bible, because that's the primary place that we see Jesus. And so we always want to ask that question, is is what I'm hearing, does it align with the scriptures? If it's out of line, if it's like there's clear disalignment, then just it's a hard stop, right? But most of the time, it'll be something like this, better together. And you're like, well, that's not in there. But it sure sounds like the heart of Jesus. We're looking for themes and stories and patterns in Scripture. Does this seem like something that God is up to? Do we see it in His Word? Number three, we submit it to community, to people who know us and who love us and, listen, who love and obey Jesus. Right? You're looking for people who have a track record of faithfully obeying Jesus. You're not taking this to your doofus friends who love you and think that everything you do is great. Right? Who who do you know that loves you enough to tell you the truth? Matt, Philippines, that's a dumb idea. Like you're looking for those kinds of people. And number four, you you surrender the whole thing to Jesus over and over. again. We're we're talking here about like having a deep conviction. Yes, the Spirit is leading me, but also holding loosely and open-handedly what that is. Because we still have a veil. Right, we got to keep checking our motives. Right? We're all capable of taking our own will and naming it as God's will. And you know who's most guilty of that? Pastors. This is one of the pastoral cheats that you learn along the way, is if I just say like, well, hey, the Lord's just really leading us to do this, then everybody goes, I guess if the Lord's really leading us to do this, we just do it. It's a, it's a way of pastoral manipulation. So if you hear that from pastors or spiritual leaders, just go like, mm, maybe we could just discern that together or pray about that and not just check our brains because somebody behind a pulpit said, the Lord's leading us. But the honest truth is that we're a mixed bag of desires. We do want to honor Jesus, all of us. And often we just want to do what we want to do. Right, so we we're holding this loosely. We're bringing it. We're we're prayerfully surrendering it to the Lord. And I and I I know that sometimes, like the Lord says, "Hey, I want you to go to, to point A," and we think point A is the end of the journey. And so we we set up shop at point A. Like this is where the Lord told me to go. And really, what he wanted to do is to get you to point E. But he knew that if he just told you go to point E, you'd be like, "No way." So he's going to take you to point A, and then you're still going to have to listen because then you have got to go to point B, and then you got to you know what I'm saying. So we're just we're we're like. Maybe it's not the Philippines, actually. Maybe that's what got the thing going, but where he really wants him to go is around the block. Tracking? If you're following the Spirit, there's going to be this ongoing movement. And number, number five, I think finally, you just have to start taking risks. If it is the Spirit leading you, it's going to feel risky. It's going to feel like, well, there's no guarantees here. This could go rather poorly, actually. That's what we did with this merge. We, we asked those questions. We began to just take steps. We couldn't, like we didn't start with this morning in mind and then just reverse engineer a perfect process to get there. We just sort of had to like take start taking steps and like, well, could we do this? And what about this? And maybe this and then that. And here we are. It unfolded slowly and imperfectly with lots of moments where we said, are we, are we sure? So we're, are we doing this? We're, we're doing this. But all along we had this sense. We have a guide. We're not just figuring this out on our own. The Spirit of God is in this. So again, I don't know if those are five steps, but just five keys, maybe. Trust that the Spirit is speaking. Submit it to the Scriptures or test it against the Scriptures. Submit it to mature, trusted community. Surrender it to Jesus continuously, and then just risk taking steps forward and repeat, repeat. Yeah? You've been with us. We uh, have been taking time at the end of every message to just create space to respond. So the team's going to come back up and uh, lead us in a song of response. What I want to do during this time is to invite you to practice step number one on there to move into a place this morning where you can trust and believe that the Spirit of God is speaking and wants to speak to you directly and to us together this morning. I want you to bring 2024 before the Lord this morning. Knowing like everything that you're facing and all the things that are also unknown and just acknowledge together before the Lord that you need help. Let's not go into 2024 in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own power. And let's not settle for less than all Jesus promises us by his spirit. So as you respond, uh, kind of two ways to do that. I'm going to invite you all to stand. Uh, you can just stand where you are. Uh, the, the posture that we've been encouraging is just a, kind of both feet on the ground, hands open. It's just a bodily posture where you say, Spirit of God, here I am. Like, I'm open to receive what you have for me. You can do that in your pew, uh, or you can come forward. If you come forward, just fill in this space. You don't need to lay on your face or kneel, or you can just come and just same posture, stand here. We'll have a few people that'll just come and lay a hand on and pray for you. They'll just pray that the Spirit would do all the things that Jesus is promising the Spirit will do. Now, some of you have come forward every single week, and that's wonderful. Thank you. Some of you... I think have felt like you should come forward and haven't. And you're like, well, I'd have to step over three people to get out of the aisle and you know, and then I have to stand up front and it's super awkward up here and what if I start crying? What if things, like, uh-huh. It's okay. to Just, just to come. There's nothing special about the front here but there is like a, uh, like, okay, I'm taking a step. I'm risking. I'm saying, Spirit of God, I need what you have. As Matt said earlier, literally, the Father gave His Son in order to give you access to His heart by the Holy Spirit. Like It is your birthright to be filled and empowered and led and guided by the Holy Spirit. That is available to you this morning. So let's not miss that moment. Let's not miss that opportunity. Will you stand with me? If you'd like to come forward, you can do that as I pray right now. Spirit of God, we... Welcome your presence. We know you're with us. Uh, We're so grateful for the promises that Jesus has made about you. We want to grab hold of them by faith together this morning. We ask that you would meet us as we sing, as we respond, as we just wait on you. We've got a lot ahead of us. Guide us. Speak to us of who we are and all that we have in you. And speak to us of what is to come. Call us. Guide us. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name.
1: So good to be together in the presence of the Lord. Just seek Him, and just oh, just to be here. I think it's a little taste of what we're going to get in full for all eternity. Just flooded with the presence of God. It's hard to to leave that place, um, but as we continue into the next section of our gathering. We're going to prepare to take communion together. And as we do, I just want to share a thought about our two churches coming together as one today. Uh, In many ways, this is sort of our our wedding day. Uh, After dating and engagement and premarital counseling and asking all the tough questions, we've come to this moment, uh, you know, stage five risk. Uh, are, are we going to do it? Are we going to make the jump? Uh, and, and that's what we're doing today. Today's wedding day where we can say we are no longer two but one. Uh, and, and that's a significant thing. Um, for those of you in the room who are married, you know that you become one on the day that you marry. But you also know that it's a process <laughs> of becoming one over time. With with lots of interesting moments along the way, uh, and so we're acknowledging that this morning that we can announce this morning we are you are no longer two, but one. Uh, and in the same breath, we can say we're, we're starting a journey together. What we're doing is risky. Oh, it's kind of wild. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> It's a little surreal, but we believe this is where the Spirit's leading. And we believe that in the power of the Spirit, at the foot of the cross, all kinds of things are possible that would be impossible outside of that context. So in a moment, we're going to walk down the aisle together as one body, as one church in one location, uh, to come and receive communion. And this is where we come to the foot of the cross, where we receive his body broken and his blood shed for us. And as we do that, I want you to see Jesus crucified, crucified, And I also want you to see one another. So before we come down, uh, I'm going to invite you to do something a little different. I want you to take a moment and turn toward the aisle, toward the middle of the church. And I want you to see the people on the other side. All of them. And I want you to ask yourself in this moment, what would it look like to receive them? To love them? To open your heart to them? To take a risk on them? What would it look like to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. As Jesus was dying on the cross for our sin, there was a moment as he hung there that he spoke to his mother Mary and to John, one of his disciples. And he said, Mother, here is your son. And to John he said, Son, Here is your mother. And in that moment, a new family was born. Right there at the foot of the cross. And I think that's this moment for us. Where we say we are no longer two, but one. And as you look at one another, I want you to hear that same voice of Jesus spoken over you, saying, Brother, here is your sister. And sister, here is your brother. A new family is being formed today at the foot of the cross. And we are trusting in the power of the cross. And the working of the Spirit to make us one. Even as Jesus and the Father are one. This is the new reality made possible for us. You can face the front and I'll pray for us before we come down for communion. Jesus, we... Praise your name. We praise you to going uh, through the horror of the cross for us, for our sin. And as you prepared yourself to go there, as you spoke to your disciples on this final night, you said, oh, I, I pray for these the, the men and women, the brothers and sisters, these people I love so much. And Father, I I pray, I don't pray that you would take them out of the world. How nice if you had prayed that. I don't pray that you would take them out of the world. I pray that you would keep them in the world and that you would make them one, even as you and I are one, Father. Would you do something in them that just makes the world look on and say, my goodness. Jesus is back from the dead. So as we come now to communion, Jesus, I pray that we would see you. I pray we would see your body broken. I pray we would see your blood shed. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes for one another. We thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.